Good morning, good morning, good morning, Word of Truth Ministry family. God bless you. Forgive us for being a little tardy this morning. I think we're about three or four minutes behind. Actually, we're five. Forgive us. Forgive us. So, look, we're going to get into this like we always do. We're going to talk about what we believe in, and we're going to go through our confession of faith with our Bibles. And then we're going to get into the message today, which uh, God gave me about a week or two ago, and I've been building it. And uh, it's going to be a very interesting message about some things that we should be doing and making sure that we have the right perspective about some things that are going on in our lives. So, like we always talk about here at the Word of Truth Ministry, I talk about our confession of faith. What we believe in, we believe in the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelations. We do not compromise God's Word at all. We speak the truth. Revelation 22 and 19 says, And if anyone take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city and from the things which are written in the book. At the Word of Truth Ministry, we believe that the Bible builds faith, which empowers our purpose to do the will and work of God. Now, if you have a Bible today, please, please, please do not trust the things I'm saying. Go to the words yourself. I don't want you to be thinking these are my words. These are words that are coming out the Bible that I am reading and talking about. And I really need to make sure that you have the relationship with the word itself that you can go check for your own self. So if you have a Bible, please hold it up and then repeat after me. This is our Bible. We believe every word from Genesis to Revelation. We live by it. We confess it. We trust it. We're led by it and we stand on it in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Let's go before the Lord in prayer before we start this message. Father, we just thank and praise you for the words that are becoming out of my mouth. Lord God, let them be a sweet savor to you. Let it fall on good ground, Lord God, that it just grows, Lord God, and permeates inside their spirit, inside their soul, Lord God. Bless them, Lord God, to take this word, Lord God, live by it and become it, Father, in your name. Let it not be me that is speaking, but let it be you. And Father, we give you the honor and glory for such a time as this to better bring forth your word to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So the name of the message to be is called, Shall We Continue in Sin? God Forbid. Shall We Continue in Sin? God Forbid. So I was thinking about when I grew up. I grew up in uh, what you call a Pentecostal or apostolic type church. If you all grew up in those type of churches, those churches were really strictly uh, legalistic type churches. It wasn't bad that they were legalistic. I think that they did the best that they could based on the knowledge that they had. But there were some things that they did in the church that really kind of made me a little bit afraid of God in a sense. See, not necessarily the right way, but they did things a little, just a little bit different. For example, see, I thought when I was growing up that if I did anything wrong, like if I sinned right now and I died, I was going to go to hell. I just I just knew this based on the teaching that I received. See, I believe that uh, God loved us, but I never really was taught the grace and mercy of God, that God does love us. And if had I just sinned and I died there after I sinned and it was not a habitual sin, that God still would have taken me in as his own. So I was told a lot about what not to do, but I really wasn't given the tools and equipment to change the things that were going in going on inside of me especially when I was young so again I grew up thinking about hell just about every day even though I was saved I'm looking back now I realized sin was the focus and not God as a solution meaning I did not have I know me personally I did not have the strength the wisdom or the knowledge or natural desire to abstain from sin and most of us do not uh, if I could have done it by myself, I wouldn't have needed God. But I knew then and I know now that without God, I will continue the sin. But with God, I can minimize those things that I do wrong against God. So today we're going to be talking about sin. And what I want you to gain from this is about four points. So what exactly is sin? Where sin kind of originated? Who's the originator of sin? Uh, the consequences of sin. 
And how do we overcome sin as believers? In order to do this, we're going to go to 1 John uh, chapter 3, verses 2 through 10. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures. I'm going to talk about them or to kind of give you an understanding of what these scriptures are saying to try to, to relate this. So here it is. It says in 1 John verses 3 and 2 and 3. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that. When he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath his hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. So what we are what we are doing or what's being done about the world today. So it says what we shall do does not yet appear to us and nor do what Christ is going to be. Really, we have an understanding of that. See, the two revelations of Christ and of our final state were made simultaneously. We do this uh, by this, but that when it appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. On our final state has an ethical and moral component for the present. There are practical implications associated with living a life of hope. Being born of God creates a vibrant hope for the future, one that motivates pure living in everyday life. It includes three events already mentioned his appearance. Our seeing him and our becoming like him. We want to become like Christ. See, since God himself is pure, when we see him, we have to be like him in his purity. We must ensure that the presence of purification is begun now by purifying ourselves right now. True, only the blood of Christ uh, can cleanse us from the stain and the guilt associated with sin. But we have a part to play in purifying ourselves from its power. So in John 4 and 10, John starts the argument for the, the indispensable necessity of holy living is drawn now, not from the expectation of the Lord's second coming, when, he shall see, when we shall see him and become like him, but from the purpose of his first coming, which was to remove sin and to destroy the works of the enemy. See, we always talk about the, revela the, uh, the res restoration, when Jesus comes back. But this thing about living sinless in the sense of not perfection, but lining our lives up in purity deals with the fact that Jesus came here initially to die for our sins and to put us back into relationship with the father. Now, verse four says everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawless. But you know that he appears so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So when I read this, I need you to understand these are not my words. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. It is not just that sin manifests itself in disregards to God's law, but that sin is a very nat in its very nature is lawlessness. Lawlessness is the essence, not the result of sin, thus exposing the ugly reality and the seriousness of sin emerges. See, John declares that it's not just a negative failure, but essentially an active rebellion against God's known will. It is important to acknowledge this because the first step towards becoming holy to getting ourselves right to live in this life 
is to recognize the true nature and wickedness of sin. See, in the classic Greek, the word sin comes harmatia, means to miss the mark. It is used of a warrior who missed striking his opponent or a traveler missing taking the wrong path. In the New Testament, however, harmatia is more active in nature. In other words, sin is an intentional breaking of God's moral standards. It is a willful rebellion arising from the deliberate choices of individuals a direct violation of God's laws. Sin is missing God's mark. It is a direct offense against the known will of God. So who does not sin? We all do. But it's how we remember Christ and his work that differ. See, Christ's work in removing our sin and his personal sinlessness are brought together. He came into the world to take our sins away. John stresses it by saying this. He states both positive, he is righteous, he is pure, and negatively, in him is no sin. In each case, he uses the word is, for the sinlessness of Christ does not belong only to the pre-existence or to the days of his flesh or to the present heavenly condition, but to the essential and eternal nature of Christ. See, a child of God lives a life marked by righteousness, and we live this life. The way we can identify each other is how we live our life righteously through God, through our faith and belief in God and our trust in God and our purity. But by abstaining from a life characterized or characterized by the practices of sin. See, the word poignant is used frequently in this chapter to imply a continual practice of sin as well as a realization of sin completeness. In other words, it is a willing, full, habitual action. See, I'm not telling you whether or not you are sinning or not. The word does. And what I need you to understand is that as Christians, we do fall. We do make error. We do sin. But the habitual sin is what John is talking about. Someone that says they confess to be a Christian but live in habitual sin. The two just don't go together. See, if we do sin, it shows not only that we are not living in him, present tense, but that we can never have seen him or known him, perfect tense. Not until he appears in glory shall we see him as he is. Yet every Christian has already seen him with the eyes of faith. In the sight of Christ, both in the present tense and experience, in the future prospect, is a strong incentive to live holiness. The fact that we know him through faith, the fact that we want to live with him in eternity, is a strong incentive for us to get our lives right now, to start the purification process, to stop doing the things that we know separate us from God, to stop doing the things we know that do not reflect God and may be causing harm and danger, not to just ourselves, but those that are around here watching us. See, while the, while the unbeliever lives in sin and has not seen or known Christ, the believer has terminated a life of sin for life abiding in Christ. See, the child of God has experienced a decisive break with sin. Sin no longer controls our lives. I can say, and I know many Christians can say, that we do not let sin dictate our lives. Because of the word of God, because of our faith in God, because of our trust in God, because of our experiences in God, 
We can lean on God when things happen. It's like an example of having something that is half full or half empty. We talk about being optimistic and pessimistic. But the fact is, in my life, I'm more optimistic because my cup is overflowing. So when something comes to me that is not right, it really is no choice for me but to do the right thing because I have so much of the God in me that is always reminding me how my relationship is with God that I don't want to do anything to sever or destroy that relationship. So if the option is to have personal pleasure in something or to destroy the relationship I have with God, I choose God every time. The question is, are we all making that choice? Verse 7 says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on shining because he has been born of God. See, in these verses, John is speaking about a willful rejection and an act of disobedience against God's moral standard, which is a characteristic of a child of the devil. Now, I was thinking about this when I was reading these scriptures, that there are some people that do some acts that when you see them, you know, and you can see the image of the devil. You watch these people. There was a guy on TV that confessed to doing 57 murders that they had confirmed. But there was another 50 or 60 that they were still investigating. When I was looking at the man and the things he had did before his conversion, because I think now he accepted Christ and this is why he was confessing. But if you look at the acts and the stuff that he was doing, all I could see was the enemy. And many times in people, we can see the enemy, the things that they're doing, but that does not mean that they're done. All they have to do is seek the face of God, ask for repentance and go and ask God to come into their life and change their life. But if any of us, I don't care if you're saved or unsaved, if you continue in sin, if sin is your characteristic, if sin is who you are, your ultimate goal is you are a child of the devil. The devil works include all those things which has insinuated to the perfect creation of God in order to spoil it morally. His work is enticement to sin, physically, the affliction of disease, intellectually, the seduction into error. He still assaults our soul, our bodies, our minds in three ways. And Christ came to destroy all of his work. See here, John emphasizes here is, a vi is vital to his argument against the false teachers. From all the indication, the possible is dealing with individuals who are indifferent to sin, because at that time they thought because of their position, they had a right to sin or they had different levels. So since I'm this, I can do this and I'm still righteous with God. The devil is a lie. I don't care what position you hold. I don't care if you're a pastor. I don't care if you're a bishop. I don't care if you're a lay member. We all have the same responsibility to live a holy life before God and not to be a habitual sinner. It is our obligation to study God's word, get in a relationship with God and purify ourselves with God's word until the day that we either die or the day that Jesus Christ comes back for us. So they believe that they could engage in any kind of sinful activity and still be in fellowship with God. See, I do a litmus test when some things come into my mind. I ask myself, so if I do this, how do I 
have the ability to come up here and speak before God's people. If I do this, how do I get into the presence of God? If I do this, when I study God's word, how do I get the interpretation? How did God talk to me? If I do this, how do I separate me from myself from God? I ask you today to do the same test when things come into your life. If you do this, you will minimize the sins that you do and you will cut off habitual sins because you will do nothing to separate yourself from the presence of God because God is our whole reason for existence. I want to live in the promise that when I die here on earth, I will live in glory with Christ. It goes on to say to live a life of sin is to align oneself with the world and the devil and it to be enmity with God. It is the very opposite of what righteousness is and entails. John is not suggesting that the child of God will not commit sin, a single act of sin. We all sin. The Bible is very clear in that. Instead, John is describing a way of life. A way of life. Character, character and prevailing lifestyle. Here, the present tense verb contentionally depicts linear, continual action. In other words, the believer will not live a life characterized by sin. The believer may fall into sin, but he or she will not walk in it. Verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Now, now John starts to contrast the one who practices righteousness and is of Christ and who does not and is sinful and is of the devil. So the devil mean, name means slanderer or accuser. He is the originator of sin. He instigates sin and those who live in sin are his children. He stands as the direct opposite of God and his righteousness. See, John insisted that the believer's inability to continue in the practice of sin is due to the fact that he has been born of God. It is a moral incompatibility between the believer, old and new nature. See, the new birth involves the acquisition of a new nature through the implanting within us, the very seed of the life-giving power of God. See, the birth of God is a deep, radical, it's an inward transformation. However, the more nature received at the new birth remains. It's an excerpt of a strong eternal presence or pressure towards holiness. Because we have this new nature, because we have given ourselves to Christ, we have an innate pressure within us or an innate desire within us to live holy, to rebuke and to cast out anything that will cause separation between us and God. It is the abiding influences of God's seed within everyone who is born of God, which enables John to affirm without fear of contradiction that he cannot go on sinning. That takes me to 1st, 2nd Corinthians 5 and 17. 2nd Corinthians 5 and 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Meaning our whole being, our value system, our behavior are changed through conversion. We are dead to sin, but alive in God through Christ. God has now delivered us from the bondage of sin and led us back from the exile of our entrapment from God to a new reconciled relationship with God. 
See, the important new thing is God's reciliation that enables us to become the righteousness of God and brings us salvation. This thing not only begets new values, it also begets new behaviors. If you've been saved for 20 years and you're doing the same thing you did before you got saved, I would check my fruit and check my nature and my character. Because in that, you can identify, not me, that the things that you have doing has not shown a true conversion to Christianity. I'm telling you now, where I was when I first got saved, I am not there now. Where I was two years ago, I am not there now. In Christianity, walking with Christ, you constantly progress to the purity of God. Not that you will ever be perfect, but you get a little bit closer each and every day as you apply the word of God, as you apply God's standards, and as you seek God's face. You cannot stay the same. I have never seen a child born. And that is an infant. And then a hundred years later, that child is still an infant. I've never seen a child born that guess what? After five or six years, they're not walking around doing the things that they do. Play with toys, this, that, and the other. They're still not infants. How is it that in the church, many of us have been in the church forever. And we're still doing the same childish things we did before. And we're expected to make it into glory. The devil is a lie. It says, shall we continue in sin? God forbid. So back to John. It says, although the Christian still falls, pray the sinful acts. John insists that it is impossible for sin to become a believer's pattern of life. If you are married and you got a girlfriend, I don't care if you separated from your wife. That is a pattern unconsistent or inconsistent with God. If all you do is fight every time you get an opportunity, which means you're not showing love to your brothers and sisters, that is inconsistent with God. If you are single and you are getting your thing when you want to get your thing all the time, and the thing that you're getting it from, you don't have a ring on it, you have not declared it to be your wife or your husband, that is inconsistent with the word of God. If you always lie to get what you want and you deceive and treat people any kind of way, that is inconsistent with the character of God. Two of the major themes here, righteousness and love, are joined together as evidence of the new birth. Those who fail to practice righteousness or neglect to love other Christians are not the, of the same spiritual heritage as a child of God. The family of God is marked by the practice of righteousness and love. So what are the origins of sin for man? Well, you have to go back to Genesis 3 and 6. If you have your word, turn to Genesis 3 and 6. If not, it should be on the screen for you. And it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and that the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. So the funny thing was, if you start to study the scriptures, I love Genesis, and you look at what went on, what happened was uh, the serpent started to talk to her, I think in uh, Genesis 3 and 1, and he started to talk about this, that, and the other, about, you know, you would have this, and pride, and all this other kind of stuff, you'll be like God, and you'll know good and evil, and all this stuff, and she listened, and she partake of the fruit. The funny thing is, when she partaked of the fruit, her eyes weren't open, nothing happened to her. 
But when she gave to her husband who was with her, all of a sudden, everything God had told them that was going to happen, happened instantly. He told them that the day that they eat of the fruit, they shall surely die. And that death can be described in two different ways. Man intention where God has set us up was to live eternally forever. Man was never supposed to die physically. Second, man was in a constant relationship with God. If you don't understand it, go back to Genesis 2 when you see God created man and how God had given him dominion over the land and the animals and how God would bring animals to Adam and Adam would name the animals. That is relationship. So Adam was in the presence of God. He knew the fullness of God's joy, love. He was with God. But the day that they sinned, the day they decided to do something different was the day they both physically and spiritually died. And it wasn't just them that physically and spiritually died. All mankind spiritually and physically died the day that they did eat of the fruit. The funny thing is, Adam ate of the fruit of the tree of good and evil. No commentary I have ever read explains or gives a reason why Adam ate of the tree. No one that doesn't say there, there's no description in the Bible that says why Adam. Many commentaries believe, though, that Eve or many theologians and interpretations equate Eve's action to pride, which led to disobedience. And that is a lot of our problems. Sometimes our pride will lead to disobedience. So what are the consequences of sin? Oh, there are some consequences. Uh, if you have your Bible, turn to Romans uh, 6 and 23. Romans 6. And 23, it should be on the screen for you. For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So when you read this scripture, I need you to understand the wage concept. I got something that says sinners earn what they receive. It's talking about like when you go to work, you earn a wage and you rightfully deserve to get paid for the work that you did. This is no different when it starts talking about sinners, sinners, when they do things that break the relationship or they do things to reject God or they do things to cause harm to other folks. What they end up doing is earning a wage and in that wage, there's going to be a payment by obeying the impulses of sin. They're storing up the rewards for sinning. Their severance check is death, eternal separation from God. When you read this scripture, read it kind of like this. For the wages of sin is eternal death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is talking about an eternal death that those that continue in sin, those that are habitual sin, those that continue to do A, B, C and D. Those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. By yielding to the impulses of righteousness. Believers don't earn anything, but they do, however, receive a gift and the gift of eternal life, which comes by faith through Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, the consequence of sin is separation from God. It is eternal separation, which means this. After the great white throne judgment, you'll be cast into, the, into hell and at the hell into the lake of fire and brimstone. And there will never be communion between you and God again. You will be totally alone without the presence of God. Right now in this world, people are walking around and they don't realize God is right there in front of them with his arms reached out to them. And those that deny him, when they deny him and it comes a time that they actually get the judgment, you can no longer reach the God because God will not be available for you to reach. Don't waste your time 
doing the things that make you feel good on earth. But do the things that's going to make you feel good in the presence of God. Because this stuff is all temporal. This body is temporal. Our lives are temporal, but it is what we use as an example to show God our love for him and how we treat others and how we treat ourselves and the things we allow to happen in our lives by not invoking God's power and wisdom into the things that we do. Sinners earn their wage. Shall we continue in sin? God forbid. First Corinthians 10 and 23 should be on your screen. If not, look it up. First Corinthians 10 and 23. This is a powerful scripture. I love this. It says all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things do not edify me. Not. See, everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Right. This is Paul talking to the church. And he's, some of them thought that they could live any kind of way and it would be OK. But Paul was trying to explain to them that everything we do should have two edifications. First, it should edify the brothers and sisters that are around us. It should help them and not become a stumbling block. It should push them towards salvation. It should push them into the glory of God and to the knowledge of God. Second, everything we do should edify God. If it's not doing that, it's not good for us to do. It's saying that, yes, you can just about do anything. But at the end of the day, does it benefit others towards God? And does it benefit God for getting the glory? If it does that pass that litmus test, it's something we shouldn't be doing. The change reflects a primary focus of chat verse chapter 10, verse 23 to 11 and one, which is doing all things for the edification of one another. Everything we do should be for the benefit of others that they might be saved. There are some things that are not exactly mentioned as sins in the Bible. But question you got to ask yourself by participating in it, does it edify God? Because, you know, I get all the time. Well, that's not actually mentioned in the Bible. For example, I love this one. They say pornography. Pornography is not mentioned in the Bible. Well, it's not. Not directly. But it does say in Matthew 5 and 28 that, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. So there are scriptures in there. But the question is, even if there wasn't a scripture associated with that, by doing the things you're doing, is it edifying your brothers around you? And is it edifying God? So what you want to do is ask yourself those questions when you come to something that you don't necessarily see in the Bible. Smoking. Well, people say that your body's a temple. It doesn't necessarily address that. But smoking, when other people see that, is it edifying them? Is it promoting them to smoke? Does smoking have a healthy aspect to our lives, which medical doctors and scientists have showed? No. Right. And the other thing is, is it edifying God when I'm smoking? Is that giving God the glory? Again, stop looking for excuses to sin and look for excuses to live holy with God. It says this. There are times God will instruct you to do something or not do something. That's not sin to other folks. We can see that when you look at Jonah and his message to Nineveh. He told Jonah to go. It, no one else was affected by that. And Jonah had to obey. Israel, when they conquered all these different nations, God told them to not to intermingle. He didn't tell other nations not to intermingle. He told them to destroy everything they came in contact with. That was their commandment. It wasn't our commandment. It was his commandment. Noah. Noah was told to build an ark. No one else was told to build an ark. Had Noah not built the ark, Noah himself would have came into sin. For me, God told me I, I can't drink, so therefore I don't drink. 
Is drinking wrong? No. But God told me I can't, so therefore I don't. I think Samson had a thing with his hair. We all have things sometimes if you're in relationship with God, God will tell you not to do in order to keep you separated and holy for his use. But the only way you will know that is in a relationship with God. See, all this is based on our relationship and the calls on our lives. Now, for those who have a list, I'm going to give you a list of some things, right? It's not an all-inclusive list of sins. You've got to study God's word and seek his face for that. But Galatians 5, 19 through 21 in the Message Bible, I think it makes it a little bit easier to read. It says, it is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. That goes back to everything is not expedient, right? I mean, everything is not going to give God the glory. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied with joyful grabs for happiness, trinket gods, your car, your house. Magic show religion. I'm going to church on Sunday, Mother's Day. I'm going to church every other Sunday on Mother's Day or New Year's or whatever else you do. Right. CME. Those kind of things. Paranoid loneliness. Cutthroat competitive comp competition. All consuming yet never satisfying wants. A brutal temper. An impotent to love or to be loved. A divided home and divided lives. Small minded and lopsided pursuits. The vicious habits of depersonalizing everyone's into a rival. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Ugly para uh, paradigms of community. And I could go on. This isn't the first time I have warned you. And this is the first time I haven't warned you. And many other pastors have warned you. And bishops and apostles and lay members and moms and dads and uncles and grandmom and them have all warned you about the things that you're doing is not lining up with the will of God. Paul is saying, if you use your freedoms, the things that you think you can just do, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. This brings me to a great scripture that a lot of us sometimes use as our avenue to commit sin, our excuse or our way out or our, you know, this is my past. Romans 3 and 23 reads, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In order to understand that scripture, you need to go back to Romans 3 and 1. The whole conversation was dealing with Jews and Gentiles and Jews from the point of view that they were better off because they had the law or they were better off because of this and that. And what ended up coming out, Paul tells them, listen, there you are no better than the Gentiles. You had the law, yet you could never maintain the law. And the Jew and the Gentiles were lawless. There was no difference because at the end of the day, you sinned and they sinned because under the law, no man had the ability to fix anything. The law was there to point us back to God. The law was perfect. The law still exists. And the law shows us each and every day the imperfect things that we do. The point is back to Christ is the only one that can save us. Under the law, there are 613 commandments in the Torah, but God even added some extra things. And if you read the word of God, really through your personal relationship, there may be some other things God put in your life in order to keep you holy and separated so you can do the will of God. But you'll never do that if you don't have a relationship. You'll never do that if you continue in sin. You will never do that if you don't commit yourself to God. It talks about this. That we use the scripture as a way or a ticket to have excuses to sin. This is just telling us the same thing that John told us earlier. That, yeah, 
we all sin, but we're not sinners. We all will commit an act of sin, but a sinner is someone that lives in sin, that practices sin, and sin is who their character is. If that is who you are and I can't judge you, not my responsibility. All I can do is look at your fruit and say, your fruit, you, you tell me that you're an apple, but your fruit appears to be a grape. If that's the case, I would advise you to make sure that the apple fruit that you're supposed to produce looks like apples. You got to make sure that this is you taking a personal account of your own relationship. If you don't do that, there will be a time where it will be too late. And the consequences of that will be total separation from God and cast into the lake of fire and brimstone which is worse than hell. It talks about in John 14 and 6. The only way that we can overcome this, this sin, the only way we can change our lives and enter into a relationship that will be lifelong and eternal long is John 14 and 6. It says unto him, it's talking about Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. This is how we overcome sin, through a genuine relationship with God, seeking God's face and his knowledge and his understanding, loving God and loving our brothers and sisters. This is how we, as the children of God, get ourselves in the presence of God, not just right now, but for eternity. See, in Romans 10, 9 and 10 also gives us this. If you don't know God for yourself, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. How? But with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. See, Christ is the start of our new life. We just have to believe, confess, and live. Here it is again in Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is what we have to do. Christian brothers, I ask you from my heart to give your bodies to God because of the loving kindness to us. Let your body be a living and holy gift given to God. He is pleased with this kind of gift. This is the true worship that you should give him. Do not act like the sinful people of the world. Let God change your life. Let God change your life. First of all, let him give you a new mind, then you will know what God wants you to do. And all the things you do will be good and pleasing and perfect. I want to read that again. Let God change your life. First of all, let him give you a new mind and then you will know what God wants you to do. And the things you do will be good and pleasing and perfect. Realizing sin is like digging a hole. The more sin, the deeper the hole and the harder it is to get out of it. See, the formula to minimize sin in your life is this. First, you got to give your life to God. And that's not through intellectual giving. That's a heart for heart condition that you change your heart and how you deal with the things of life. And everything you do, you acknowledge God and you trust God through the process. So, number one, you got to confess, believe and walk in Christ. Number two, you got to study God's word, every scripture. Three, you got to seek God's face for understanding, guidance and wisdom. 
Number four, you got to present yourself to God as an offering and allow Christ to renew your mind. Number five, you got to obey all of God's commandments, which means this. I'm not going through all the commandments because it's pretty simple. It talks about in Matthew that the first commandment is that you love God with your whole heart, soul and mind. And the second is like it into the first that you love your neighbor as yourself. All the commandments and the prophets can be hung on these two. Six, you got to acknowledge when you do sin and seek God for restoration. He said he's faithful. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. See, the Christian challenge that we've been doing for this last week is a way into getting into the presence of God. To gain an understanding of the will that God and life that God expects for us to live. And it's also helping deepen our relationship. It's not just something to do just to do. It's something to say, Lord, I'm going to commit some time to you, some quality time. I'm not just going to give you 10 minutes or no minutes at all. But I'm going to give you some quality time that when I see you in the morning, when I get up, I acknowledge that I know I didn't wake up on my own accord. Before I, my feet touch the ground, Lord, I'm going to thank you for that. Once I get in my car, get myself situated, I'm going to thank you, Lord, for my family and all the things I have, especially during coronavirus, that my family's alive. I had somebody pass away in my family because of the virus, and many of you all have as well. But there are many other people in your family that are still alive. we got to rejoice for the ones that are alive and the ones that are gone. we just got to thank God that they knew the Lord or that they had an opportunity to know the Lord. But this challenge is for us to get into the presence of God, to know God for ourselves. To get a rehearsal relationship. Listen, they say anything you do after 21 days becomes a habit. Imagine that every day from here on out, the rest of your life, before you get up in the morning, you acknowledge who God is. You give him thanks, honor and glory. On your way to work, you always praising God. You just give him honor and glory. Just pray for your family, this and the other. Imagine on your way home, you just worship service with the Lord. You get your one or two good worship songs. The other day I was coming home. I put on a worship song. Probably shouldn't have put on a worship song because I'm in my car. I am literally physically crying out to God. Tears are running down. I just in, I'm in God's presence. Right. Atasha Cobb had me. She 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 sung that song while I was gone. I was just praising and worshiping God. And then I was praying at the same time. And then I came home and after I spent some time with the family, I, I got into my word and now I get to eat a little bit of God. So it gives me something to next day to talk about or to think about or to meditate on. This thing that we're doing is serious. We have been in our houses and we have been kind of locked up in our houses and teleworking and all kind of stuff. This is the perfect opportunity for us to reestablish our relationship, the revival. We can't have a revival tent, but you can have a revival at your house. Revive your relationship with God while you have the opportunity and get it in a habit. Not that it's a habitual or a ritualistic thing, but the fact that you desire to be in the presence of the most high God. If you do that, you will not have sin as a continual thing in your life. You may sin and you will sin. But you won't walk in sin. You won't be the guy or the girl that is married with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You won't do things outside the will of God, whether it's homosexuality or whatever else it is. I believe that if we can trust God, God can change and do anything in our lives. Some people think that they cannot stop doing it. And I will tell you to a fact that you cannot. The only way you can stop doing the things you're doing is through Jesus Christ. You have to seek his face. He is the only thing that can change our hearts, our minds and our nature. Today, I ask you, shall we continue in sin? God forbid. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank and praise you, Lord God, for this message. I ask you, Lord God, for those that are 
out there that do not know you, Lord God, that they will find you today, that they will turn their lives around. They will seek your face and your understanding. Lord, I ask you, Lord God, that you forgive them and cleanse them and make them whole, Lord God, that where they are today, Lord God, as you speak to their hearts, Lord God, I rebuke the hands of the enemy, Lord God, that would tell them that they're not worthy or that you don't love them. Lord, I think in the day, Lord God, for anybody with sickness or depression or issues at all, Lord God, I rebuke the hands of the enemy. And Lord, I decree and declare peace in their lives, Lord God. I decree and declare healing and health in their lives, Lord God. For those that have lost someone recently, Lord God, I ask you that you heal their hearts, Lord God, that you touch their minds, Lord God, that you give them the peace that passeth all understanding. Lord, as we walk this walk, Lord God, as we get off the path, Lord God, instantly remind us, Lord God, that we may come back to you, Lord God, seeking your face, Lord God, asking you, Lord God, to forgive us and cleanse us that we may walk back in your will. Lord, I just give you the honor and glory, Father, in Jesus name. Amen. For those out there that may not know who Jesus Christ is, this is a great opportunity to meet my Lord, my Savior, my King, my Master, my best friend. He is available to everybody. He is big enough that he can cover the whole world. He died that everybody, past, present, and future, have the opportunity to know who he is and to be in relationship and at the end of the day to walk in and live in the presence of God. Right now, I'm just thinking about New Jerusalem and how it looks and just being in the presence of the Most High God. Listen, if that is you today and you want to know who Jesus is, repeat after me. Father God, I'm a sinner, a need of forgiveness. Lord, I ask you to cleansing, make me whole, change my life as I give my life totally and completely to you. I acknowledge that you died on the cross, you rose again, and you are God's son. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm going to ask my beautiful queen to come up here with me like we always do here. And we're going to do our thing and the thing and the thing thing. This is my beautiful queen, my baby mama, no drama mama. I just want to, she's going to say a couple of things and then we're going to go on and finish up for today. What you got, mama? Yes. Well, hi, everyone. And an awesome word, Pastor you, Marcus. And I just want to say that I accepted the challenge. I pray consistently every day, but just accepting that challenge allows me to even the more to meditate on God's word mm -hmm. and to do a self check of myself mm -hmm. to have my own personal revival. Amen? Amen. And sometimes we need that all the time. We need that. We need to be in relationship with God. Amen. Amen. And some of the announcements we want to make as no, as usual, every Monday we fast and pray for love, unity and peace around our country, our nation. And we encourage you to join us. Mm -hmm. It's from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. And however you feel led, by God and know that we are praying and interceding on your behalf Amen. going before God. Amen. Amen. And also you can check our website out. We have a prayer request um, tab where you can go in and put your prayer requests and we pray as well. Amen. Um, also, um, last but not least, um, this month the ladies topic is woman to woman home is where the heart is i encourage you to join us we're going to have an awesome time god we're going to do a something a little different it's going to be a little surprise but join us amen
Amen. And also, I hope you got a chance to watch the uh, Men of Standard yesterday. We gave you a little, a little tidbit of half of the front of it. It was great. Brothers from all over the country. And, and next time we get together, it's going to be brothers from all over the world. I got some other people from around the world that are going to speak and give their opinion and ideals based on the word of God to help us as men be overcomers, to be better husbands, better fathers, uh, better Christians. So, again, next Saturday, 12 o'clock, watch the second half. You will be blessed because I'm telling you now, none of us have the answer by ourselves. But through Jesus Christ with us together collectively, we can work out some things. So, God bless you. Mommy, you got anything else? No, that's it. So what we want to say, like we always say, we want you to stay encouraged and encourage others with your life. God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next week.